but uh, this morning, I just want to say welcome. Uh, welcome to those that are worshiping with us online. Uh, we know who a lot of you are, and you're really dear to our hearts, and um, if we can help you in any way, uh, just reach out to us by uh, giving us a call or, or sending us an email. So, uh, But for those that are here and, and also at home, if you come with me to Acts uh, chapter 9, we're going to uh, continue our study uh, in the book of Acts uh, this morning. So find your way there. If you're taking notes uh, on, on this little section, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 31. And, um, and we're going to divide that into three little sections. We're going to look at uh, verse 1 through, say, 19, and then the second part of 19 through uh, verse 30. And then the third little section is only one verse. It's a, a, a transitional verse that gives us some insight into uh, what was happening in the life of the early church after uh, the conversion of Saul. So the first little section is uh, 1 through first part of 19, and then 19 through 30, and then uh, the last section is verse 31. Uh, before we pray and, and uh, you know, kind of look at uh, the conversion of uh, Saul, who will become Paul, uh, let me kind of put you in my shoes a little bit. Uh, this text is, like, so familiar. Like, I must have, like, read it through. If I've read it through 100 times, I've read it 200 times. Um, and it's so familiar that it almost, um, you just kind of know what's coming, and it doesn't have really much impact on you, you know? It doesn't really kind of uh, get beyond the head uh, to the heart. And if that's you this morning, I mean, if this is a really familiar text, I want to offer you just a suggestion that that works for me. I, I try to put my uh, try to put my heart in my feet in the main character. And the main character of our text is who? It's Saul. So I try to put myself in his shoes and try to experience the text uh, through Saul's eyes. And often when I do that, um, I get the heart connection. I get what the Lord wanted to do in Saul's life. I also uh, get the biblical truth that he wants to touch my heart with. And I, and I have to tell you right off the start, <laughs> um, this text is so uncomfortable. Because when we look at the first little section, 1 through 19a, or the first part of 19, it gives a picture of, of a person that is religious, uh, is driven by ideology and is driven by nationalism. So someone that's driven by a system of belief, someone that's driven by ideology, um, 
and what that produces in that person's life. Compared, there's a contrast, compared to a uh, Christ, a Christocentric or a Christ-centered life, what does that produce? And it, see, that's where it becomes like extremely uncomfortable because there are times where I can become religiously rigid. Can anybody identify with that? Like, these are the rules. <laughs> um, and what, is, what did that produce in the life of Saul? Because if you can capture that, it kind of answers some of the questions about how can the Middle East be so brazenly uh, anti-life, like so committed to be an agency of death rather than life. And that, that's a byproduct of a religious ideologue drivenness to a person rather than a Christ-centered life that's driven by what? Driven by agape, driven by love, driven by servant. It says, Philippians chapter 3, let the, let the same mind that was in Christ be where? In you. And so the first part of this is like super challenging. Uh, the second part, 19b through uh, 30, is uh, really practical. Uh, when, I, when I was... Uh, a young man, I used to listen to Chuck Swindoll all the time. Just, a, just an amazing uh, Bible teacher. And I've, I've listened to him a few times lately. And, and he's an old dude now. Do you know that? He's like an old guy still preaching in Texas. Um, and, and Chuck Swindoll looks at these verses in a way that shows a, a total application uh, the, the progression towards maturity. What does the progression of maturity look like? So those are the kind of the two major things we'll, we'll look at this morning. And, and before we pray, just let me reiterate that um, all this will be a narrative for you uh, unless you kind of put yourself in, in those shoes of, of Saul and say, Lord, what did you want to speak to Saul? Because that's, that's what the Lord wants to speak to us this morning. It's what he wants to do in our hearts. And so with that as an introduction, let's pray. And then we'll look at our text. Father, we thank you uh, for gathering us together. Thank you for the sweetness of our worship. We pray for all the men who are playing hooky uh, this weekend off at the men's retreat. Pray that you bless them. Lord, we pray for courage that when they come home, they'll not want to take a nap, but they'll give their wives a break. How do you think that prayer is going to go over? Well, it's kind of a dangerous prayer, isn't it? But Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The church is being persecuted. The church is scattered. The church is in trouble. Take a look at verse 1 with me. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, speaking of those that were following Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Some Bible scholars take the breathing and the fierceness of that and paint the picture of Saul snorting like a war horse. How can a man that was trained, say, rabbinically from beginning at the age of five, being bar mitzvahed at 13, being a full member of the synagogue, how can a man like that come to a place where he's willing to bring men and women and children and take them captive and put them into prison and execute them? That's the picture. How do you get to that place where you're willing to do that? Isn't there something in Genesis talking about Imago Dio and that everyone is made in the image of God and everyone is to be valued and treated with dignity as a person? Isn't that truth there? Isn't there the truth in the Old Testament that, we're, that we are to love our neighbor? Is, is, where, how did that get lost? And things like that, everyone deserves respect. Everyone's made in the image of God. Everyone is valued. Those things get lost when, when within our hearts we begin to think that we are the be-all and end-all of telling people what God has for them. And we become driven not by a relationship with God, but we become driven by this religious zealousness. We become driven not by the law of love, but we become driven by what is ideologically pure and what does that result in? It results in someone that's driven by religion and not driven out of a sense of and out of a relationship with God himself. And this one man, Saul in this case, he was driven by those things, by religion, by nationalism, by having a desire for, for religious and ideological purity, and the outcome in his life was to destroy people. Sound familiar in our CNN coverage? Religion doesn't really produce love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering. It, it doesn't produce those things. It produces a sense of self-centeredness. And it actually results in the destruction of people. Paul had this to say about himself. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, 
blameless. In short language, he said, I have it all together. I am righteous in myself, and I am the executor of my interpretation of Torah, my interpretation of God's plan. What happens next in the first section is that Jesus Christ himself, out of his love and mercy, decides to intervene supernaturally in Saul's life. And what he does is he comes to him and reveals himself to him out of mercy and out of grace to transform Saul's life into someone that is not, say, self-centered and centered on religion, but someone that is Christ-centered and centered on the love of Christ and the mercy of God and the, the heart of God for all people groups, Jew and Gentile alike. Come to the text with me. Verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats like a war horse, asked for letters to bind and bound people towards prison. And then verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And his confession of heart, knowing the Old Testament, knowing how God intervenes in, his in, in the lives of his people, his heart yields, and in the divine presence, he says, Lord. And then a voice from heaven says, uses the language of deity that he would grasp, he would understand from Exodus chapter 3. He says, I am. You've seen the movie with Charlton Heston, right? I am who I am. And Jesus says, I am Jesus. I'm the one that you're persecuting. Back to the text. And falling to the ground, he heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes, what would be in your mind? I know what was in my mind. It was, oh no, I'm a man undone because I touched the holy of holies. He's blind. You can sense his fear, his confusion, and he neither eats 
nor drinks for three days. What was God doing? God was saying to this self-sufficient religious ideologue nationalist, he set him over here to the side and he said, I am going to pause your life so that you can reflect and think about all that's going on in your heart and in your life. Oftentimes, God will do that for us. We'll go through these seasons in life where we're simply set aside. We have no real answers. We have no sense of what's happening next. We, we're, we're wondering what, what happened. And, and Saul's in that place. And once again, you see the heart of God displayed. Did God leave Saul in that place? No. He taps on the shoulder of a godly man by the name of Ananias. You know, let me say this, that we're all in those places at life from time to time. We're trying to figure those things out. What would you have for me, Lord? What do you want to do in my life? And in those seasons of time, Paul shows us he just simply stopped. Now, God blinded him. May he not do that to me. May he not do that to you. But he often does put a pause on life. And it's designed to kind of get our attention and to humble us. And out of the mercy of God, God sends Ananias. Take a look at the text with me. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named, like you, Ananias, is going to come and lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. And Ananias said, Lord, I'm willing to go, but I have a few questions. <laughs> Isn't this the dude that was taking everybody out? Isn't this the guy that's taking men and women to prison? Ananias is helpful to me. I much like being in Ananias' shoes than Saul. It's a lot more easier to digest when I put myself, because I say to myself, I say, all you need to do to be used by God is to have a heart for Jesus and to be available. Ananias doesn't get blinded, struck dead, or anything like that. I say, that's the guy that I want to live my life after. He gets to go deliver the, the good news to a bad dude. But even the good news here is put your shoes back in Saul's, put your feet back in Saul's. It's really kind of challenging. Come back to the text with me. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind and who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to tell you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, 
and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, I like the part with the call. I like the call with, I, li- I like the story of the scales falling off their eyes. Did it look like flounder scales or mackerel scales? I mean, I like that. I, I would like to ask a few questions about like what kind of fish scales came off. The hard part about it is, is that Ananias said to Saul, go and pray for this man and tell him all that he is to suffer. And putting myself in, in that particular situation is the realization that God is not committed to my comfort when it comes to mission. God is not committed to like my standard of living. God is not committed to giving me a pile of assets. God only wants one thing. He wants everything in all of my heart. That's hard to, isn't that hard to wrestle with? To think that, you know, as a man that's getting older, that God still wants my total being. He still has a mission, still has a plan. The apostle, the apostle got that message, and what is his response? I like this part. He gets up, so I can see, I can see, I can almost see it, you know, I can see. And getting baptized for him at that point wasn't a big deal. Why? Because he had made the transition from being self-centered, being religious, being a ideologue, being a nationalist. He had made the transition from that to being Christ-centered. And what we're going to find out as we travel along with the Apostle Paul, he said this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and get this, and the fellowship of his suffering. That's a transformed heart. That's a Christ-centered heart. That's a heart that wants to be completely and totally dedicated to Jesus Christ. The second part of our narrative about the Apostle Paul, I mentioned at the beginning that I liked listening to Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck Swindoll breaks down this second section of the text into three steps. The first step is in verses 19 through 22. The second step is from 23 through 25. And the last step is 26 through 31. And what Swindoll uh, teaches and what I've experienced in my life is that there's a progression to maturity. Like when you have a child, I know this is, you know, some of you are saying, oh, yes, I, I had a child once, and I'm praying for their maturity. Well, well, mom and dad, how old is he? Oh, 35, 35. Like when a child is born, you want what? You want them to mature and become self-sufficient. Like you might be like 17 or 18 and say, no, I don't like, I, I like, I like mom and dad. I, I, I like, I, I, dad gave me his credit card. I mean, I got, 
Dad gave me my cell phone. I ain't going anywhere. I'm just like, I'm chilled. I'm chilled. Dad, where do you want to send me to school? I don't want to go to school around here anywhere because I don't want you just kind of dropping in and saying hi. Like, as a parent, that's a big deal. Like, like I just love, like, Becky went to BU. I was like, hey, Beck, I'll just pop down. No, you won't. Like, <laughs> you go through this trauma as a parent. <laughs> she doesn't like me anymore. Just keep on paying the tuition, Dad. You, for maturity is a progression. And what we see in the apostle, soon-to-be apostle Paul's life, is you see a normal progression towards maturity. And the first step is this. Everything's easy. Everything's, everything's great. Remember that time if you're a little older and you came to know Christ? Remember that time you came to Christ and he forgave all your sins and you woke up the next morning and everything you touched became like, almost like the Greek mythology Midas. Everything you touched turned into glory to God. You witnessed to the first person after you came to know Christ. And what happened? They turned to you and go, what must I do to be saved? You know, and you go out and you share your faith and everything is glorious. It was easy. Take a look at the first couple of verses. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here? For this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? Verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Everything was glorious. I, I like life like that. I like life to be easy. Who likes life to be easy? Yeah, there's... There's a few of you that need to fess up. I'll give you a clue. The older you get, the easier you like it. It's no problem for life to get easier. You just kind of slide into it. With that, if God left Saul in this place, would he have matured into what God's plan for his life was? No. If we want to stay in an easy place in life, will that mature us? Maturity comes when we choose to do the hard things. Maturity comes when we take a step of faith. But the first step in God's graciousness towards the apostle was everything was easy. I think you know where this is going. What's the next step? Things become difficult. Come back to the text. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Like, oh Lord, I didn't sign up for this. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his, disi his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a what? Basket. I escaped. Easy, difficult things in life hone us, but they seldom 
worker transformation in our life because we're still, by nature, resilient. And my flesh, maybe yours is the same, my flesh longs to survive. And what we see in the next couple of verses is that it's not a, no longer easy, it's no longer difficult, it's what? It's simply impossible. Take a look at the text. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. <laughs> they were all afraid of him. Barnabas comes along and says, hey, he's the real dude. He, he's, really, he's really a good guy. And what happens? Literally, the demons of hell break out and start persecuting the church again. And what do the boys back at Jerusalem say? Best get this dude out of town. And they send him off. But I thought, I thought I was, uh, these are my buds. This is my home turf. And the leader said, we don't care. You're out. Why is this, this progression in life, both spiritually and naturally, that's designed to bring maturity? In other words, in spiritually and in, and in life, things are easy. Every, everything's done for us you know, as we're growing up, and then things become a little bit more difficult, and things become impossible. Why? Why is it got to be like that? Because God wants us not to be self-centered, but he wants us to be Christ-centered so that we depend on the work and the grace of God to be our strength, to be our assurance, to have Christ as the foundation of our life and not ourself, both in the natural and in the spiritual, the progression through life is easy, difficult, and impossible until we come to the end of ourself realizing that it's only by the grace of God that I live this life, and it's only through his mercy and grace that I experience true joy in my life. Remember John the Baptist? In John chapter 3, John the Baptist gives us the, gives us the, uh, the, the message for life. John the Baptist says this, that Jesus must what? Increase. And John the Baptist's life must what? Decrease. It, it's, it's that way spiritually. It's that way naturally. Like when you get married, that's a frightful thought for some of you, isn't it? Like when you get married and you want the best marriage, what's the, what's the plan for you to have the best marriage? It, it's John 3.30. I must, you don't even want to say it. Okay, I'll, go, I'll approach it another way. When you got up this morning, what did you think about? I'll, I'll tell you what I thought about. I, 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 I couldn't even talk. My mouth wouldn't even oh. I, I need that coffee. I, I need a Starbucks fix, and I need it now. Is that the way to a happy life? <laughs> Some are, some are signing up for my world. I would like to think I would wake up in the morning and say, Oh, beloved, 
Morocco, Nancy, can I get you a cup of coffee? And of course, Nancy would say, no, but I'll have a Diet Coke. <laughs> but see, sometimes when we look at spiritual things, we say, oh, but spiritual and natural, they're the same. If you want a vibrant marriage, you must de decrease. Christ must increase so that you can agape and love someone out of a pure love and not a self-centered love. The transformation that God was going to work in the Apostle Paul was this. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, Galatians 2.20, and gave up his life for me. That I want to know the glory of Christ's resurrection, but I also want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Saul began self-centered, an ideologue, a nationalist, a zealot, and what the transformation that we see in his life is one about being Christ-centered, filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in his life, that for him to live was Christ and to die gain. That is quite a transformation. All of us are on that road to maturity. If things are easy in your life, I'll say, move over, let me in. <laughs> if they become difficult, lean into it. If it becomes impossible, trust God to work in your heart and get you to the other side. Can you say amen? Oh.